Today I'm continuing our series of sermons in, uh, entitled Love One Another, in which we are instructed by Scripture to treat one another in particular ways, especially how we're supposed to treat one another as Christians. Scripture is very clear that we, as followers of Jesus, are called to a very different set of rules than the world is. We cannot live as other people do that are not followers of Jesus, and especially that's true in our relationship with our Christian brothers and sisters. So today I want us to consider one of the next of these requirements that are part of loving one another, and that commandment is that we tell the truth to one another. To begin, I want us to look at the words of the prophet Zechariah as found in the 8th chapter of his book, verses 16 and 17. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to one another and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Some of you who have attended the instituto classes that we offer or have heard me lecture know that I talk often about philosophy, especially the, the branch of philosophy known as epistemology. I once had a very funny friend who, when I told her that I, a lot of my focus had been on epistemology, she said, I think my mom had one of those. <laughs> Men, ask the women to explain that to you when you get home. Okay? <laughs> but epistemology is a branch of philosophy that deals with the theory of knowledge. In other words, how do we know things? Especially, how can we know the truth from untruth or truth from mere opinion? In one way, that you could say that philosophical epistemology is the scholarly way to tell if something is true or if it's a lie. This is important because there have always been liars in the world. Starting with the snake who deceived Eve in the garden, because Satan is by nature a liar, and his greatest desire is to make us more like him, which means he works very hard to make us liars as well. That's what Jesus is referring to in John's Gospel in the 8th chapter when he says this, You, speaking to those who were not obedient to him, you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and he wishes to make us like him. Now that's true whether we're talking about the great big lies, the kind that Joseph Goebbels or Stalin or Bernie Madoff pulled off, or the small lies, the kind that most of us deal in pretty much every day if we're honest about it. Lies like, oh, this tastes great, or no, that doesn't make you look fat, <laughs> or this won't hurt a bit or the various so-called border promotions that we hear from people here at Lakeside from time to time. You're aware of that? Somebody was a, a famous writer in their, in their original place. Or perhaps it's simply a willingness to expand a juicy bit of gossip to make it just a little juicier. Yes, as Dr. Gregory House on the TV show House MD was fond of saying, everybody lies. And why do we all lie? What's the motivation that causes us to lie, since we all seem to do it to a greater or lesser extent? I think most lies are committed because people think that by lying they will gain for themselves some advantage, or at least they will keep themselves from suffering some disadvantage. 
In other words, people lie to get money or power or sex or influence or recognition. Or they lie to try and keep from being blamed or held responsible to keep someone from being mad at them, either to gain something or to keep from losing something. Basically, people lie to get material goods, prestige, a job, relationships, respect, or to keep from losing those things. This is all part of what it means to be fallen creatures, to be broken souls, beings that are separated from our God. Even those of us who are in Christ have not yet seen the fulfillment in which our relationship with God is what it was intended to be, the intimacy of that. And so we all lie and we fight to get what we want or what we think we need because we have no faith, really, that God is going to take care of us, most of us. As it says in the book of James in the fourth chapter, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So it seems that everybody lies and people always have. But here in the 21st century, it appears we have moved further than that. We have made lying into almost an art form. Very recently, we've heard a lot about false news and alternative facts, and perhaps my favorite euphemism from Stephen Colbert, truthiness. (laughs) Truthiness is defined as the quality of of something seeming or being felt to be true, even if it's not true. As Colbert said, truthiness is what I say is right. And it's not just because I feel it's right, but because I feel it's right. In fact, truthiness was named the word of the year in 2005 by the American Dialectic Society and for 2006 by Merriam-Webster Dictionary because it reflects so much of what is true in our culture today. Truthiness, like alternative facts, refers to the quality of preferring concepts and facts that one wishes are true because it gains us some benefit rather than the concepts or facts that really are true. Many of the things that people say today, their truthiness or their alternative facts, have no relationship at all to what is really true. They're only what someone wants to be true. And so they present them as though they were true to get what they want. This has now gotten so common and so bad that scholars are talking about us living at the beginning of a post-truth world. A post-truth world where objective facts are less influential in shaping opinion than appeals to emotions or personal, if unsustainable, beliefs. We will believe what we want to believe. And like truthiness, post-truth as a term has been formally recognized in scholarly circles. In fact, Oxford Dictionaries declared post-truth as the 2016 International Word of the Year. In each case, they're simply recognizing that these reflect something very fundamental about our modern culture. In his late 1960s novel, The Outsiders, which many of you I'm sure have read or seen the movie, S.E. Hinton has one of his characters say this, I lie to myself all the time, but I never believe myself. Today, the problem is that most people still lie to themselves all the time, but now it seems that most people actually believe their own lies. Only we don't call them lies anymore. As Paul Simon wrote in his song, The Boxer, a man hears what he wants to hear and he disregards the rest. 
What I'm describing here is the predominant way of the world today, as recognized by the American Dialectic Society, and Oxford Dictionaries, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. This is the way the world thinks and acts. It has become part of our dominant culture. If you can lie and get away with it, especially if you can call it something other than a lie, and you can gain advantage from that, then lie away. Truthy yourself into whatever you really want to believe. But a primary theme of this whole series of sermons called Love One Another is that although we see the rest of the world acting in certain ways, we as Christians are not allowed to behave like that, not if we're being obedient to Jesus. And that includes that we are not allowed to lie to gain some advantage. We have a different set of rules, different standards that we are called to live by. That's especially true for us as Christians who follow the example of Jesus and teachings of Jesus, but it's also been true since Old Testament times for those who are serious in their observation of the Jewish faith. In fact, when Judaism became a religion, when it began, when Moses delivered the law from God at Mount Sinai, it was the beginning of what sociologists and anthropologists call ethical monotheism. That's the term for it. That encompasses Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Ethical monotheism. The point is that Judaism introduced the idea that we not only believe in one God, but that we have ethical obligations that go along with worshiping that one God. There are certain things we are not to do and other things we must do. And that's wrapped up with our belief in God. So I've chosen this passage from Zechariah today because I believe this makes it clear that the Old Testament Jews, as well as we New Testament Christians, have this responsibility. This passage starts by saying, these are the things you are to do. In other words, these are your ethical obligation as one of God's people. It reminds me of our old pastor, Earl Palmer, and his family. Earl is a great man. He performed the wedding ceremony for Carolyn and I. We've traveled with them. They are dear friends. When Earl and Shirley, his wife, were raising their kids, they taught them that as Christians, their whole family was committed as a family to act in ways that were honest and responsible and good. And Earl and Shirley very successfully modeled that for their children, how you act as a Christian family. And so later on, as their kids were growing up, Earl says it was common when they were tempted by friends who wanted them to participate in bad behavior or drinking or mischief or even drugs, his kids would say, no, I'm a Palmer, and Palmers don't do that. Isn't that great? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to say, no, I'm a Christian, a member of God's family, and Christians don't act that way. That's exactly what the start of this Zechariah passage is in effect saying. These are the things you are to do, and given is the things that you are not supposed to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other, and do not love to swear falsely. It's pretty straightforward. Not a lot of waffle room in here. We are to tell the truth especially speaking the truth to each other and then making sure that the truth and fairness that we are committed to is reflected in our courts. And to make sure we know how important this is, the Lord has Zechariah finish by quoting the Lord as saying, I hate all this. Meaning, do not do it. 
for fear of offending the Lord your God. We people of God, we followers of Jesus, of all people should tell the truth to one another and the truth about one another. No lies, no misdirection, no holding back our real thoughts or intentions when it's appropriate to share them. In fact, in my own experience, one of the biggest ways in which Christians today lie is not by speaking an untruth, but by not saying something they believe is true. Instead of saying what they think or they feel, they will instead try to manipulate a situation to get what they want in an indirect way, to have an agenda that they're not willing to admit to. That is a kind of lying. And we're not supposed to do it. We're not supposed to, we are supposed to speak the truth. And that means more than just not telling falsehoods. It means saying what needs to be said. And being honest about what we think and feel. Even if we think other people will disagree with us. That's the sign of maturity, or at least the sign of growing in maturity as Christians. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. A sign of maturity is speaking the truth in love, but it does need to be spoken in love. That means that we must be able to speak the truth to one another always, but we also should do it gently in love. Speaking the truth in love means telling truth in a way that affirms people and builds them up, not tears them down. It means we are not to look for opportunities to crush someone else's ego by telling them a truth that will diminish or demean them. If someone you love asks you, does this make me look fat? It is not loving to say, yeah, it makes you look as big as a house. Because that will hurt. That's not telling the truth, that's just mean. Instead, speaking the truth in love to a question like that might be, well, it's not as flattering as it could be. Or... I notice the men are laughing louder than the women. (laughs) Or, I think you look better in the first one you tried on. It's truth, but it's delivered in a way that shows love and regard for a person's feelings. And we can always try to find that direction. That's a sign of Christian maturity. And it's also the sign of a healthy relationship. (laughs) Telling each other the truth in love also means that we sometimes will tell people things they need to know so that they're not embarrassed by others who will be less gentle than us, less loving than us. To be willing to say, you have something in your teeth. Carolyn and I have this thing that say, okay, I'm a mirror, it's right there, you know, so that you don't confuse which side. Or to say to someone, do you realize you have toilet paper trailing from your shoe? (laughs) To not say something in a direct but gentle way sometimes leaves people open to greater embarrassment. And that's not kind. It is more loving and more kind to say something than not say something. Even though it may embarrass you a little bit, it keeps them from being embarrassed a lot. I once was in a class in seminary, it was a New Testament uh, class, in which the professor got up to lecture, and it was obvious to every one of us students, and there were about 50 of us in the room, that his fly was unzipped in his trousers. 
It was nothing obscene. The only thing you could see is the white t-shirt, you know, through his fly. But almost everyone there was so focused on that and so mortified by the sight that this, and he actually was the dean as well as professor of New Testament, that he's standing up there with his fly down. Everyone was so focused on that and yet nobody, it, so we weren't hearing any of the lecture. And I could hear people saying, tell him, why don't you tell him? And the answer was, why don't you tell him? <laughs> Finally, one of the more mature students in the class simply said, Professor, I think your pants are unzipped. At which point, he zipped them up, the distraction was gone, and we all went back to learning more about the New Testament. Now, why was that so hard for the rest of us to do? Telling the truth in love sometimes means saying something a little embarrassing for us to keep others from suffering greater embarrassment. It is an act of care and love. So, telling the truth to one another. Summing it up, as Christians... We must tell the truth, both because God tells us to and because we know we don't have to lie to get what we need. If we think we have to lie in order to get what we need, that's actually a statement of lack of faith, that we don't think God will provide for us. We don't need to go there. We also must allow ourselves, or not allow ourselves, excuse me, to fall into the idea of false news or using alternative facts or truthiness which, after all, are just modern words for lying to get what we want. Make no mistake. We must be willing to tell the truth openly about what we want and what we think without manipulation, without hidden agendas. We must be able to say what needs to be said, to be honest about what we think and feel, and to have an environment, a community of Christian believers where we can be vulnerable in that way and know that we're not going to be taken advantage of. That is a sign of maturity, or at least growing in our maturity in our Christian faith. And we must be willing to speak the truth in love, using truth to build up and to help others rather than tear them down. And this means sometimes we have to be willing to say something a little embarrassing for us in order to prevent greater embarrassment for someone else. This, I believe, is for what it means for us as Christians to tell the truth to one another and to not allow ourselves to get sucked into what the very modern idea is that if you can get away with it, lying is okay and we have all sorts of euphemisms to make it okay. We will speak the truth to one another. That's one of the commitments that we would have here as a church. And may God give us the grace and wisdom to live our lives in that way. Amen.